and I could preach about anything I wanted. So whatever happens, blame him. So I got to thinking, you know, ooh, I could preach about anything, anything. Boy, I could really let him have it. We could talk about the dangers of white nationalism. I could preach about global warming. I could talk about racism. Ooh, what do what can I preach about? I was sitting and praying and thinking about it, and I went to bed, and I woke up at 3.30 in the morning on Wednesday, and I knew exactly what God wanted me to talk about today. He wanted me to tell you about pedestrian vandalism. You think I'm joking, I'm not. Pedestrian vandalism, it's a big problem, you know. You may not know, but some people, they walk wherever they want to. They walk through the grass, they traipse over your landscaping, and they don't care that they're killing it. There's a perfectly good sidewalk over there. And yet, they just walk wherever they want. But you see, the problem with that is that the sidewalk is all the way over there. You see, we have a tendency in our society to blame our problems on the behavior and the choices of individuals rather than acknowledging the real problem, which is it was badly designed. It's badly structured. It's a problem when we blame individuals for big problems. Sometimes the pathways in life don't accommodate the destinations and the needs of the people who are on them. You know, we've all seen these trails. Pedestrian vandalism is one way to call them, but a better word, a less prejudicial, a less emotionally loaded term is desire paths. This is actually the term for them in civil engineering. And I know a little bit about this because I went to Purdue University, which is a top engineering school. I wasn't there for that. But they have the best civil engineering department quite possibly on the planet. They have experts in this field. And you know what? Purdue, when they would build a new building, They'd put beautiful sidewalks all around the perimeter, but they wouldn't connect it to any of the other buildings directly. Experts here. They planted grass fields all around, and you know what? Students don't care. 40,000 students are going to find the most efficient way to get to class, whether there's a sidewalk there or not. And so a season later, boom, you now can see clearly all of the ways that you need to get from Beering Hall to McCutcheon Dorm. And the school, rather than reacting and putting up do not walk on the grass signs or making a fence or a barrier, instead, they did something really amazing. They put sidewalks where the desire paths were. They paved where the students needed to go. And you see, this actually was by design. They chose to wait and see what the needs of the people were before they made the path. Now, this kind of design, that takes a lot of courage. 
It takes a great leader to step back and let the people set the path. And it requires setting aside your ego. Can you imagine the head of Purdue Civil Engineering, a top person in his field, an expert? Doesn't he probably know some more about design than some pesky college freshmen? And yet, this design is smarter, uses less resources, but it requires setting aside your pride. This design by trampling also requires a willingness to let some things die, to let some grass go for the greater good. The poor, innocent grass, it didn't do anything wrong. We could have protected it. We could have fenced it off. We could have made some signs. Except even the grass that withered served a very important purpose. Now, doubtless by now, some of you have to be wondering, what does any of this have to do with the gospel good news of Jesus Christ? And don't worry, I'm getting there. My point is this. That our direction, our destination in life, and our path points us towards Christ. But it's not always going to take us along the paved paths that society has set before us. Society has rules and boundaries. And, you know, some of them are pretty good. Don't worry, I haven't secretly been an anarchist all these years. But society is based on a common good that isn't always based on the kingdom of God. And as followers of Christ, we are going to encounter boundaries and barriers that don't make sense when we are setting our hearts on following Jesus. Jesus himself encounters one of these boundaries today. We hear Jesus is in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he encounters a woman who is weighed down. She's bent over. And we hear from the rabbi clearly the boundary, six days you have to come and be healed. Jesus, don't heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus says, no, you misunderstand. The Sabbath was never so simple or as minor as stop work. Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh you shall stop work. Doesn't sound right. No, Exodus chapter 34, verse 21 says, Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh you shall rest. The Sabbath was made for rest, and it was made to set us free. The Pharisees accused Jesus of doing what we do, what the people of Isaiah's time did. Jesus is accused of trampling over the Sabbath. But just like our physical desire paths, our mental desires, our patterns of life, and our routines can be helpful and indicate our destination, but our desires and our postures and our behaviors have both the power to form and deform us. If you don't believe me that our patterns of work can deform us, I want to let you know there's a whole industry built around the fact that we don't rest and take breaks from work like we should. 
Computer monitors have been designed to reduce eye strain. Wrist supports and angled keyboards have been developed to remedy carpal tunnel that happens from typing for too long. There are back straps and posture devices and whole internet articles entitled How to Prevent Your Computer from Causing Hunchback because it's the computer's fault. My point today, friends, is that we approach today's lesson from Jesus as if the Sabbath is something we've been set free from, that Jesus has set us free to ignore it because, you know, if the work is important enough to do, it's worth breaking the Sabbath. But that's not the lesson that Jesus has for us. Just as Jesus encounters the stooped woman and sets her free from the burdens of years, Jesus, just as he freed her, frees us from the consequences of our own weaknesses. He teaches us a new way to stand. And just as he retrains the muscles, the ligaments, and the tendons, he retrains the desires of our hearts. The Sabbath was indeed made to set people free. It sets us free from our entrenched postures, both physical and mental. We would be wise to heed the words of Isaiah chapter 58. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests, or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. The Sabbath is taking one day in seven to be set free, to step out of the busyness of our lives, to discern now, maybe you fixed your eyes upon Jesus a long time ago, and so you can set a weekly time to step off your desire path, pause, reflect, pray, lay in the grass, look at the clouds, and then get right back to work, following Christ on the sure and trod path of the saints before you. But maybe when you take your Sabbath, and you take a moment to pause from the steady plod of putting one foot in front of the other, you can look up and realize that you've been so busy going in the same direction, hemmed in by society and the people around you, that you realize you've lost sight of where you actually were headed. Maybe you look up and realize you're not facing the destination you intended at all. The Sabbath is a time to reorient our lives on the King of Kings, Jesus, and to take the next step in following the path of who God is calling us to be. Now, depending on how long you've been keeping on and keeping on with the busyness of life, you might need a drastic course correction. The Sabbath is intended to be a refueling station, if your phone is dead, you don't plug it in for two minutes and then yell, it for, yell at it for dying as soon as you unplug it. You see, if your battery in life is drained, you need more than ever to stop and rest. And if it's been a long time, you might need more than a day. You might need a week, a month, 
a whole sabbatical. Once you've refueled, keeping the Sabbath as one day in seven is a time to use the Sabbath as your GPS in life. It's not just a way to recharge you, but it gives you the courage and the conviction to buck the crowd, to work against the flow of a world run amok, and to grow and to follow faithfully in the direction God has for you. For some of us, it's hard to imagine that we have the power to forge our own path. Maybe you don't feel like a path creator. Maybe you feel more like that grass, bent down, stomped upon, downtrodden, half dead, just waiting for the next passerby to pave you over. It's to you most especially that Jesus comes today. You see, the Sabbath is about more than just our behavior as individuals. The Sabbath requires us to address our behavior as individuals in the corporate nature of our society and our church. It brings us together to look at the downtrodden, the meek, the lowly, and the overburdened and uncared for, not to mock, not to scorn, not to have empty pity, but to be called account for the things that we've done and left undone. Jesus comes to set us free from our burdens, yes, but he also shows us how our choices have burdened others. Is it any wonder that we uh, tend to avoid the Sabbath? We'd rather not know the suffering of others, but the freedom we have in Christ is about more than just feeling good about ourselves and going into the week ahead. It's about entering into the freedom to go and do better as a body, to follow a desire path that is reoriented on the desires of the kingdom of God, and to get out and make desire paths that others can find and follow to Christ. The Sabbath sets us free from our entrenched postures and mental and physical attitudes. And as we've seen around here, Sabbath can shake things up. It brings about a lot of changes as we reorient on how we are called to follow Christ. Some are called away. Some are called to retire. Some are called into new ways of service, and some are called to resign. These aren't bad or shameful things in the body of Christ. Resignation has this stigma of getting mad and giving up, but it's not. It's also a way of moving forward into new paths and an opportunity for new health and vitality for all. One mental attitude that I would love to see us change is that goodbyes are a bad thing. And since you said I could do whatever I wanted, I'm going to end this lesson with an invitation from the musical Hamilton. One last time, relax, have a drink with me one last time. And if we get this right, we're going to teach them how to say goodbye, say goodbye, you and I. There's a lot that I've learned and earned in my time with you together. I would love to take the chance to say goodbye either tonight or Tuesday night, but know that this isn't the end. 
It is a goodbye for now, but it's a continuing of a chance to grow, to love, and serve the Lord together.